tonight with, uh, if you got some mics, get a mic close to you, so just in case you decide to come in and have uh, words that you want to share, and just make sure that they're on. Um, and, and we hope to have some uh, discussion tonight. And so we're going to be dealing with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, last week we talked a little bit about uh, the people in Thessalonica and how they were faithful uh, in the midst of their persecution. And, and, and tonight, you know, as Paul continued to, to, to encourage them, tonight we'll see that he kind of focused part of this chapter on remembering his visit there, calling to them, you know, how he acted and conducted himself while he was there with them. And then at the end, he comes back and then gives them encouragement for being the church that he considered, a, you know, his prize, a prized possession. You know, a church that, that would allow him to be rewarded because of their faithfulness. And so hopefully uh, we'll look at this tonight and see how important uh, the truth is when it comes to the gospel, you know, and, and the ministry, you know, and, and that's one of the things that he tried to stress tonight is that, you know, he wanted his conduct and his character to be evaluated against those who were coming against him and them. And he was saying that he believed that the, in the end, ministers or people who stand in the place that I stand or people who represent God got to be people of integrity. It got to be truthful. The people got to be able to receive what they're uh, giving them, but their lifestyle is a player, you know? And so this is what he talks about uh, here tonight. He says, now, as he remembers, he says in verse 1, you yourselves know. Now, we can almost stop right there because when he say you yourselves know, now uh, he's going to ask them to recall on their own experiences. You know, someone say, hey, you yourself know something. That means that you've got experiential knowledge in that, or you are aware of it. You was there. You have seen it. And so he said, now, look, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. And, and so by him having to say that, it looks like there were some who may have thought that he came to them and what he was trying to accomplish, he didn't do it. And so, therefore, his ministry would have been a failure. You know, and in your opinion, you know, when, and this is your opinion, this is just us having a conversation, and it depends on where you are, where you've been, and what you've experienced in ministry. When do you consider ministry a failure? What, 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 what would you use as a measuring stick? Or just, you know, depending on where you are right now, when you hear him say, hey, man, our ministry was not a failure. Would you leave me to believe that there are some ministries that do fail? Okay. So, so what does failure look like when a ministry fails? And, and again, just whatever the spirit lay in your heart, it don't have to be right. I'm going to just kind of tie some things to whatever you say to kind of make sure we stay on, on, on the point that he's trying to make. Take a stab at it. Just, just try to let the spirit you. This is what the Bible says it's about. You know, so that you can just just kind of see where you are. Yes. Be before I think that, uh, before I understood the word, I was to think that okay, if a if a church was full, then the ministry was successful. But what I also witnessed during that time too was the church was full, but probably. 
well, I won't say a percentage, but a lot of the people weren't living, they, they, they weren't living anything. It was just like they were just going to church as a ritual that Sunday, okay, this is where we're supposed to go. But it looked like, okay, the church was doing uh, what it was supposed to, what it was designed to do. But in essence, it wasn't because people still live the same lifestyle. You, you wouldn't know if you saw them outside of the church that they went to the church or that their life had changed. Okay, okay, good point, excellent point. Anybody else, anybody else? Yeah, Pastor. Okay. You can look at it as a, a failing church can be a church that is not, is not teaching the people. It's not teaching. It's all about money. It's all about being flashy as a pastor or uh, misleading the congregation. Misleading. Okay. It can be very misleading. Okay. You know, okay. I watch, I watch um, one that they, they, they are the news. A pastor that they have on the news quite often now. Uh, it's very controversial because this man dressed in clothing that costs what I may get I, by the year. The, the, the car that he drives is something that I might get every two years in payments, you know. And that's how he go to church every day. Him and him family dress with nothing but designer. And it's like they talk about this man so controversial to the point of being hands up in his own church by thugs right in New York. Mm, okay, okay. So... And, 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 and again, you know, I, don't, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I do think that there are leaders out there who go to the extremes. You can get, go to excess to where your excess appear that you're in it for the wrong reason or you become greedy. And once greed set in, the Bible is clear, you know, especially when greed is centered around money, you know, money is a, is a, is a, is a poor master. You know, it's a good servant when you use it right. But it's a poor master because if, you, if it becomes your, your master, then you're never going to be satisfied. You're going to always want more and more and more and more. And, that, and, 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 and what happens is if you're uh, uh, caught up into that, you're going to try to get it any way you can. And if it means that you're going to get it from your people, lying, stealing, cheating, whatever you got to do, that's a good point. Um, and made, you made an excellent point, too, because what Paul was not necessarily talking about numbers and their numerical growth when he said failure. I think, you know, these churches weren't mega churches back then. That's right. So he wasn't saying, man, we failed because, you know, we didn't get but 10 people saved or we didn't get this. He wasn't talking about that. He, he would have considered it a failure if they never grew in the faith. That's right. Like you said, Major, you got a church full of folk. They come here every Sunday, but ain't nobody growing in the faith. And he's saying, when we're not growing in the faith, that makes it look like the gospel is failing. It has no power in it. And he said, even though people are saying you guys were not growing, I want you to know, we know you weren't a failure. And, and we're going to know you weren't a failure by the things that you're going to do in the midst of persecution. Because last week we talked about them being persecuted. And even in the midst of persecution, they continue to walk in the Faith. They didn't allow that to turn them back. So he wasn't saying, okay, you know, this church that got 5,000 people, they're successful. Like you said, you can have 5,000 people and still be a failure in God's eyes. Right. If the people are not growing, they're not maturing, they're not doing the thing, then the church just become 
a, a place for entertainment and, and, and to gather and, and, and do things just for the sake of doing it. There ought to be some growth when people come to church. People ought to be challenged to grow. They, they ought to want to become more and more like Christ because that is a good standard that we should be striving for. Amen. And so, but if we are never challenged to do that, then now we will measure the success or failure of a church by something other than the word of God and the, and the maturity and the growing and the spiritual maturity of the people. Because if we just go about by, by, by material things, you don't need to be the church to have material things. There are people that don't even worship God got material things. So that, that's the wrong measurement to say we're there because we got, now it's okay, the church needs material things to do its business. However, that should not be the measurement of whether or not the church is successful or not when it comes to people growing to the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So what he said here is, hey, we want to make sure that you understand that our visit to you was not a failure. Because, you know, it's easy for people to paint it as a failure. But he says now, look at this. You know, verse 2 says, you know how badly we have been treated at Philippi. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but maybe you was here when we did the book of Acts. You ought to know how to, man, they, 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 Philippi was a bad place for them, for Philippians. You know, in Philippians, they went there, they ministered, they found Lydia out by the water shore. She was a seller of purple, a businesswoman, got her and her whole household saved, came into town, saw this little girl that was possessed and could fortune tell, and they cast a demon out of her, and then she stopped making money for her masters, and then they got mad, got them put in jail. Then when they were put in jail, man, they got beat down. They got the beat down, but at midnight, while they were praying and singing hymns, the Spirit of God moved, and the jailer got saved. So he said, man, we caught hell <laughs> in Philippi. I mean, we went there and, hey, we upset the place, but they, but they put it on us, man. They beat us down. They put us in jail. You know, you know how we were treated there. And he was trying to say, look here, based upon how we was treated there, if this was just something that had no value to us, man, we would have gave this thing up. I mean, with a, man, I ain't going through this again for major. I'm going to get beat down. I thought I would do a major favor by catching that demon out of me. Now I got to beat down. Look at me. You got to live with that. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you just got to live with that, man. Because no. I ain't. I, I so, ain't that. That's it. So that, there are a lot of preachers out there that ain't going to do that for you. Right. They will take right. from you, but they won't make sacrifices right. for you. That's right. So he's saying, like, now you know how we were treated. So if, if, if it was a case of, of, of our treatment to indicate whether or not we were true ministers of God, then look here, we would have quit. Because right. nobody wants this type of pressure on them for the sake of the gospel, unless the Lord, the Holy Spirit is empowering you to take this. Right. And so he said, now look, so you know what we went through in Philippi, and look at this, he said, you know how badly we have been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered that. Well, I told you about that. Yet, our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. Man, we would have left Philippi and went on back to the world. <laughs> I mean, I'm, Major, look here, I'm going on back to the club, man. I done got the beat down for the king. I ain't even get beat down like that when I was in the club. 
I mean, when I was in the world, man, I ain't get beat down like that. And now all of a sudden, I, I come to Jesus and I get a beat down because I'm trying to get somebody to say, look here, on my way to your place, I'm going to just go on back to what I used to do. And you know what? When some people meet opposition in the gospel, they go right back to the world. They, they don't have the courage and they don't have the faith to stay the course. And so right now, there's a lot of talk about Christians who are deconstructing their faith, who who are now starting to doubt some of the things that they have been taught and because they can't stand on some of the things and the persecution that may come along with it because we live in a society now that, you know, everybody want to do them. We live in a society where people say, you need to just be fluid. And, you know, whatever you want to be today, you be it. And tomorrow, you want to change to something else. And when you stand up and say, but God didn't call you to be no fluid, you, you, you know, he ain't call you to just run around like water and don't know what you are right. and who you are. Right. <laughs> and, and so therefore, when you, when you start standing up for some things that's based on scripture. Now, I ain't got no problem with people in this generation, what folk going to do, because folk been doing, ain't nothing new under the sun. But at the same time, what happens is when you start speaking against things that the culture endorses, then the church get timid because they can't stand the persecution from the culture. Right. And so therefore people start reconstructing, well, do I really believe all this Bible say about this? this? Did the Bible really mean that? And so I don't have a problem when maybe you look at your faith and say, now I've been saved for 10 years, I'm going to go back and look at some of the things I was taught earlier, and maybe that was not taught to me exactly right back then, or I didn't interpret it right, and I've grown, so I'm going to reconstruct some bad things or some misunderstanding or misinterpretation. But it's a different thing when I'm going to reconstruct Jesus in order to appease the culture. That's right. See, and, and so what he's saying, now look, man, if that was the case, because of all that opposition, because these folks did not want to accept Jesus Christ as being the Messiah, the, the Romans got upset because, you know, they, they, didn't, they said that Caesar wasn't God that they weren't going to worship Caesar. Then, you know, the Jews got upset because they said Jesus was the Messiah, and then some of the heathens got upset at them because they said, y'all worship false gods. They started coming against their gods. And so these guys were catching it from all in. Maybe it would have been easy. To just, man, I, at least me and my boys didn't get beat down for clubbing unless we just went in the club and started a fight. You know, it was more safer being in the club than it was being a minister of the gospel back then. You know, and, and so what I'm trying to get you to see, when people look at this as there's some risk involved with it, some people, as I preach, won't accept the risk. And when they don't accept the risk, then that means now when it comes to opposition, then now I am not going to share my faith because now I'm intimidated by the opposition that I could face because of Jesus. I'm telling you, the dividing line in the sand is Jesus. I'm, that's the way it is. You can walk out of here, man, and just go and declare God, God, God all day long. People, football players, God, I want to give thanks to God. Okay. They have an idea, notion of who God is. Okay, I ain't got no problem with that. But when you say God, you could be talking and addressing a whole multitude of people. Because there are so many gods out there that people worship. That's right. Special people in polytheism where they worship many gods. Mm -hmm. 
And so therefore, for us, in addition to you saying something about God in the G-O-D, you got to talk about his son too. Because that may let the world know who you are. These folks, when they came and talked about the gospel, they was talking about Jesus Christ and the message that he left for the world and what he did for the world. And so as Christians and believers and followers of him, we got to stand on his truth and the things that, that we know based upon our understanding of his word. So he said, now look, he said they suffered there, yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of opposition. Now, our job as Christians, we got to figure out how we can share our faith with others and not be intimidated. And, 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 and I think some intimidation comes because we are concerned about what people are going to think or respond, how they're going to respond. It is not your job to change their heart. That's God's job. It's your God job just to present the good news. You just need to know that, hey, somebody that already paid the price for you, somebody that already did the hard work, somebody loved you in spite of, and as you share that good news and the gospel with them, then now you got to believe that you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. That's right. But because you meet opposition and people come against you, don't mean we got to shut up. I mean, we, we shouldn't go in hiding. People ought to know. And so it's important for us as believers to share our faith. You know, the church getting everything now. I was reading an article that even upset me. Because I know where the heart of where it was coming from. There was a, some church groups. Put, went online uh, upset because the little mermaid is black. And I saw that I said, how in the world they got time with all this stuff going on in America? They gonna pick on the little mermaid. I can see if she was a real character. You know, I can see if they took, you know, John Wayne and, and turned him into a black guy and say, we're gonna talk a documentary on John Wayne. You got a valid point there. We know John wasn't black. Okay, so I ain't gonna, but when you pick on the little mermaid, so I'm thinking that, you know, they don't accept the blue smurfs. But I guarantee you, you make one of them black, somebody gonna have a problem with it. In the church. So church folk got too much time on their hand that they arguing about Little Mermaid. Now I got my whole philosophy on that thing, and it's all about imaging and putting in people's mind what they want. No different when it took a long time to get a black Barbie. Barbie. I mean, that was a lot of controversy. Come on. It's church folk. And now since I'm on my horse with these things, that, that we, you got to change people's minds. Because that's what the truth does. Right. I remember when we did a play back in 1988 over in Germany, Christmas program. In the chapel, they had the nerve to pick a black Jesus. And do you know that the Protestants went crazy? Because all their lives, they never thought that Jesus could possibly be. Can we allow our little children? And so what I'm trying to tell you, church folk, when it comes to standing up for the truth of the gospel, you could meet opposition from anywhere. 
especially when your truth attacked the norms that people have been brought up with that has nothing to do with the gospel truth, but just their upbringing. And so therefore, that's why it's so, hard, so important for us to make sure that when we study this word, man, that we do it the right way to the best of our ability, and we do it in a way where we be honest and open and upfront with people and talk about tough conversations from a truthful standpoint. And then now knowing that everybody's not going to agree with you. Okay, so now look at this. This is what he says. He says, verse 3, he said, we can see, so you can see, we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. So that means to me that it's possible for you to go to church today and be deceived. That you can listen to someone who's preaching to you with impure motives. And then you could be tricked sitting right here in church. Duped. Game playing on you, you don't even know it because you don't know the truth. You know, we, when we first started striving and we used to go and visit a lot of conferences and stuff like that, I went to all kinds of conferences. I wanted to learn. I was hungry, man. I went to the Prosperity Conference. I went to all the conferences. went to the, you know, the straight traditional conferences because I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to be right. And I saw all, after I started going, you see all kinds of things that take place in ministry because I always went in with my eyes wide open. And so, like they say, when you're coming out the street, street no game when they see game. Yeah, it, it recognized. So, so when I go to church and, you know, they playing games, I can say, oh, man, that's a game. That's a game when you make us all get in line and then everybody got to declare what they're giving so they can embarrass the guy behind them so that he give too. It's a psychological game. Why not just take it up and let us go? But no, you're going to make us get in line and everybody got to say what they are. And I'm saying, man, this guy gave enough because he knows when I get up there, I can't go up there and give $10 after the guy in front of me just gave, you know, a thousand. And the church in front of me gave 5000 I got caught up in the game. They got me one time because I got in the line because they said, all pastors, get in line, get in line. And the big boys got in first because they know the game. And them boys were dropping 5000 10000 10000 I'm saying, now, look, we we a little bit of strive. We coming out here to learn how to do ministry, and now we're in a line, and the, I would never get the leadership that came with us, was up in the back, and I look behind and say, what y'all want me to do, man? These guys, these guys dropping mad cash when they get up to the altar. They... So, so I, I didn't go up there bearing no fruit, but I didn't drop five or ten grand. But I did. I think I gave two grand that day. <laughs> you know, and that was two grand more than I wanted to give. But I had got in that line. And I was too ashamed to walk out of the line. But the next year we went out there, I knew, hey, I ain't getting in line. I ain't getting in line. You got me last year. I like your teaching. I like all the words that you give me because we get some good stuff from you. But I ain't getting in the line this time because I know how you're going to play the game. And so what I'm trying to tell you, when it comes to things like that, there are people who go to church every day, and they're being deceived because they just don't know the truth. And when you don't know the truth, anything can be true to you. That's, right. That's why you have to be led by the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of truth. And you have to allow him to lead you and guide you and help you discern what this word is saying so that you can bear witness to the truth in your heart. 
And if there's some doubt in your mind, then do the research. Look up certain things to make sure that you understand. But don't go to church and turn your brain off. Hey, Pastor, I think the pastors that were behind you probably glad that you dropped that price limit down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they were. were Should have went ahead and did that $10. I, I could. I don't think I could have. I could have went up there in front of them three thousand folks that just dropped ten dollars down. That I would. I, they got me. Major, go ahead. You know, but Pastor, even 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 with that, I think sometimes people see something within ministry that causes them to walk away from the whole thing. You shouldn't walk away from the truth just because something in church is not right. I mean, even, even though that happened, it wouldn't have caused you to say, you know what, ministry as a whole is crooked. No, the truth remains the truth. What happens around it just happens around it. But Amen. you can't throw away all of it based on one, one bad experience. I think people walk away when they say, when they see something that's not right, they say, well, no, none of this is right for me. And that's not true. Amen. Amen. And, and I think, you know, when it comes to the church sometimes, the church don't get a second and third chance with a lot of people. Right. Whereas we were in the world, everybody got a second and third chance. You know, you can be wrong because you're in the world. You think, okay, that's my partner. He did me wrong, but hey, we still, we hang out together. We're going to, but when you come to the church, there's this mindset that, hey, okay, if something happened to me in the church, then guess what? I'm going to turn my back on all of it instead of saying, okay, let me find out why it's going on like that. And then certain things, you know, like I say, I studied ministry, man. I, I, I studied all of it. I used to, all I used to watch was TBN and all them ends. I mean, all the time. That's all I watched. So I saw all of them. And then I saw patterns. So I knew that dropping money at people's feet was just a fad. It wasn't going to last forever. But that fad was strong while it was going. And people did it, did it because, hey, come and lay down your money on the altar. And people just went up there and did that because they didn't want to be embarrassed when they say everybody else going there dropping it. They got to go there and drop their money down there too. Instead of just sending us around to take offers. No, but all those things work on people's psyche. It's tricking people. I'm telling you. They, they trick people to do stuff like that. And so, therefore, they know. Even our girl, I was over in, uh, when she was very popular, Sister, Sister Juanita. I mean, she probably came to coast. I mean, they took up an offer, man. And they used to tie offering to, to years. You need to give your, it's 1999, you need to give your 1999 offering. $19.99 all the way to $1,999. And so what you do, you start with the $1,999, get in line, and you work your way down to the $999. I'm just telling you, and, and, and I'm telling you, what I'm saying is that it worked because almost everybody in that arena got up. And I'm saying, man, that was, that was cool right there, the way, the way she pulled that off. That was that was cool right there. It was. Because people can be tricked. Because they think that when they're coming to the house of God, they're not going to be tricked, but they don't realize that sometimes they can be due. Now, if, you, if the Lord laid on your heart to give, you give whatever you want to give. But you shouldn't be tricked into doing something in God's house that you don't want to do in your heart. Your heart ought to be right. You ought to feel good about it in your heart when you do things for the Lord. And so, again... I just try to share with you what I've learned from experience. So I do know that trickery can go. People do have bad motives when they're doing things for the Lord. Sometimes their motives are not pure. And so what Paul was trying to get them to see here is that, hey, when we came to you, 
we operated in truth. We wanted to be men of integrity so that what we tell you, we could stand on that, but at the same time, you could believe us. So this is what he says. Verse 4, he says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. In other words, God has placed this valuable gospel inside of us ordinary men. And he says our purpose is to do this. Our purpose is to please God and not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Now, in your minds, what does people, you know, pleasing, you know, if a, if a man or woman of God is a people pleaser versus a God pleaser, what does that look like to you? He says, our job and our goal was to please God and not people. So when you think someone is just doing something to please people, what does that look like? What do you, what do you how do you envision that happening? Anybody? You're right. Your answer is your answer. When, you, when people trying to please people. Fred, you got something? Anybody? What are you saying? Say, now let me read that again. He says, well, for we speak as messengers approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examine our motives, the motives of our heart. So when it comes to saying that, man, I'm trying to please people, more than I'm trying to please God. Now, and, and I want y'all to keep this in the context now of what he's talking about. Go ahead. I'm going to try to bring some context to it. So, so I'm thinking, let's just say, um, you know, we have an event, and you really don't want to do it, but you know pastor's going to be there. Pa- pastor's going to be there, so you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up and I'm going to do this even though I don't want to do it. You're not doing it from the right heart. You're doing it because you want to be seen. You want to you be doing it because I say, well, you know, Major's doing this because, you know, he, he always does this. No, you do it because you want to do it. You have the heart for it, not because somebody's going to see you doing it or care that you're doing it. Okay, that's a good example, too. That's a real good example. Anybody else? Well, I, I, I think Go ahead, Rob, and then Sister Martin. I think I was coming from the point where doing things that line up with the word of God and you're doing it for God's purpose versus doing something that does not line up with the word. Uh, okay. And, 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 and that ties into to, to the point I want to make here. Myrna, did you have something before I start talking? Yes. You can look at it at the point of having friendship, like your friends. You know for a fact you, you shouldn't do certain things. But you want to please your friends, so you're going to do what they want you to do. You don't, you don't make their influence you. You should influence them by coming in here. Okay. So in that context, that, that's also true. And so we go back and look at this and, and look a little closer. Now, obviously, he was talking. Oh, okay, Jess, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, is mine similar to that one? Like, kind of like uh, you won't mention certain stuff around certain people because you afraid of how they might uh, take it or respond and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So you kind of, because usually I know when I mention certain stuff like that around people, they'll get kind of quiet or they'll kind of start speaking or like walk away and stuff like that. So it's probably Okay, good point. And so now in the text context he's saying is that now when we came to you, 
and we preached this gospel. We did not preach or teach to please people. In other words, there are people who come to church to be, for the preacher to tell them what they want to hear. And so therefore, preachers know that. I mean, I study our congregation, and I know there are certain things people would love to hear me say a lot, but I'm not going to preach that just to make them happy and then skip over some things that I know that they don't like. Preachers know what their congregation like and they don't like. So there are certain topics, there are certain things around the truth of God's word that I'll stay away from because I don't want to offend anybody or I want everybody to like me for my preaching style. And so therefore, I make sure that I preach things that I know, man, can want to like that type of message, I'm going to just stay right there because I can't go on these other type of messages because she ain't going to like it. And then when you tie that to churches where people connect their giving to what the preacher preached, they would then try to tell him. what he, You need to stay off that topic there. Don't talk about leadership, not doing this, not doing that. You need to tell that. So what he's saying, look, when it came to us coming to you, man, we weren't trying to please people to get their applause or their money. Because, again, there were false teachers going around who would preach to people. That's why the, when he wrote Timothy, he talking about people having itching ears. That time is coming where people are going to come to church to be told exactly just what they want to hear. And so, therefore, in doing that, I'm not going to preach something that I know Fred don't want to hear. So I know Fred's in the audience today. Man, I got to scratch that out of my notes. That's going to upset Fred right there. Can't, can't mention that. Fred be upset with me. Pastor, I have a question. Uh-huh. When Jesus went to the temple and whipped those people out of the temple and called them, you know, tell them to get out that there was a den of teeth, is that because they was doing the same thing they're doing today with money? You know, like, come put your money here and come put your money there. And if you give me money, then you would be prosperous or you would get rich or you would live long. What they was doing? No, the temple experience was not necessarily similar to that exactly. It was that during that time when people had to come in for their worship to the temple, a lot of people traveled from all over the place, and they didn't always travel with their sacrifice. And so they came there and didn't have the dove that they needed, and they didn't have whatever they needed to sacrifice. So, the, so Major is the dove seller out there. He knows it's inflation time now, supply and demand. Doves are at a shortage. This guy done traveled over here, and so guess what? I'm finna jack the price of these doves up. They're going to go up, down. I'm a, they got to exchange money when they come because they're coming from another place. There was certain money that had to be played in the temple. So when they had to go to the money changer, they increased the price. You know, it, when you travel over the world, the, the value of money changed every day, depending on the value of the currency that you're trying to buy. The dollar is strong in some places and weak in other places. So these guys knew that, hey, they're coming in town. They needed this currency. So guess what? Normally, it's a two-to-one, but because they need it, and they got to go to the temple, it's going to be five to one today, buddy. And so they was doing that in the confines of the temple, and Jesus said, hey, man, this is supposed to be the house of prayer. He wasn't saying you couldn't have a bookstore and sell books in the church or nothing like that. He was saying you shouldn't rob people oh. when they come to church. Okay. You shouldn't take advantage of people because now they, you got them in a bad kind of like the airport do us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can say, man, why is it that McDonald's fries and other stuff 
we did the same McDonald's, the taste the same, the grease almost the same and everything, but then now just because I'm in the airport. We need Jesus to come back, don't we? To go to the airport and clean up something. They, you shouldn't be doing that. But they know they got it. So they had a captive audience. And so he was upset. And so on purpose, he went and, you know, kind of kicked them out. Because they were taking advantage of the people. That was the overall context there. They were, well, you, that's, that's true. Now when people come and, and manipulate you and take advantage of you in the church in another way, you know. Yeah, no difference. If you don't know the truth, like I say, I, I live through that. Money coming to me now. And <laughs> y'all remember that? Yeah. And, and, and people brought it. Laid it right there at the feet. And they can, you can use the scripture to say, oh, well, you know, in Acts, they brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Yeah, but it wasn't for the apostles, it was for the people. They distributed to other people. That's why they, were, they had to get deacon because some people thought they weren't getting treated fairly. And so what we got to understand, people can take a biblical truth or a biblical example, but use it for the wrong reason. And when people don't know that, and I use that as my foundational text, say, you know, all the people brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And if I don't put no context to that, and I say, well, hey, your apostle has arrived. Now, we need to live out this scripture. Yeah, we sure do. And all I need to do is call Major. Say, Major, when I say that, I just need for you to be the first one in line. Because if I get you in line, you and Doc play together, because Doc going to follow you. See what I'm saying? You come on up, Major. So, and so what I'm trying to tell you is that Doc said, no, he know the truth. He ain't going for that. See? And so what I'm trying to tell you is that a lot of times, innocent people come to church but just because they don't know the Bible, this Bible can be twisted. One word can change context. One word can change meaning. And when you, when you don't know that and you think you're dealing with people that's going to deal with you in honesty and integrity, you just believe it. Kind of like some of the stuff that we was brought up believing that our parents told us and we got older and we found out, hey, that wasn't really true. But because someone credible told you that, you believed it because you didn't know any better. And so the same thing can happen too. Now look at verse 5. He says, never once, he gives you some idea how people can be won over. Never once did we try to win you with flattery. Everybody likes to have their head blown up every now and then. They just, they, they just need, you know, you all added some chips. You know, it, everybody like that. So he said, now, when someone flatter you with too much flattery, you got to say, I can't be all that. I know me. You know what I mean? Major just to painted a picture. Major must want something, man. He done laid this on too thick. Soon later, you got to be little enough to say, yeah, it's something up. Major just saying too much, too much. It's almost like sometimes, you know, when I was in the military, you know, when, it, when some commanders, everybody was flattered. And when everybody was flattered, they signature didn't mean nothing to the board. And he said, hey, look, there were people out there who was coming in, and they will win you with flattery words because they know that. And then he says, as you well know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friend just to get your money. In other words, we didn't want your praise. 
nor do we want your money. And so therefore, we wouldn't use language in order to manipulate you or take advantage of you. Yes, sir. And see, language is a, is, a, is, a, is a tough art. You know, when people, you can use certain words and, and bring out certain emotions in people. I mean, it's, it's the art of communication. You can talk people into a frenzy with certain words. And so what he's saying is that, look, we didn't come to you and try to trick you. We just want to open this Bible and try to teach you what's in the Bible and then allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in the truth. Not to take advantage of you. And so what he's saying, now look, so we didn't pretend. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. You know, to be honest with you, it does feel good when some people come up to me after the service and say, man, that was a powerful word today. You know, that's good praise, you know. That's a powerful word. That's, but you know, sometimes when somebody, every sermon ain't powerful. <laughs> I know that. You know, okay, not a powerful don't go down. Because I know I go back to, you know, go back and review and say, ooh, could have said that better. Could have did that better. But they told, now they powerful don't mean nothing to me no more. Because maybe they shall say, we just going to blow past the head up like that. You know, no, just give me a power for every now and then. That make you powerful. <laughs> man, they really got you. But when people flatter you, man, you can tell when people just saying stuff to flatter you. And he said, we didn't use flattery words because we didn't want to take advantage of you. We never sought that from anyone. But again, there's nothing wrong with praise. Don't get me wrong. When people do well, there's nothing wrong there. But at the same time, you know, you, when people, you praise people for their outstanding behavior, that ought to be done. But at the same time, you can't praise their subpar behavior because you want to be their friend. Because now it takes away from what you're trying to do in someone's life when you're trying to speak a truth to them. Because now, if you have been deceiving them with your words, then now they ain't going to know when you're telling the truth and what to believe. Mm -hmm. So he said that we dealt with you with integrity. And we didn't try to flatter you or take advantage of you. He said, now look, as apostles of Christ, now this is how we know he was really sincere, of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands on you. But instead, we were like, we were like children among you, or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. In other words, say, we established a relationship with you because we could have came in and played the apostle card. Say, because we're apostles, we're traveling, and we ain't got no job right now. It's y'all job to take care of it. That comes with the apostolic authority. But he said, knowing your situation, when we came amongst you, we didn't take advantage of you by making demands on you for something we know you didn't have. Didn't make no demands on you. Even though we had the authority, even though we could have said, I'm Paul, apostle of the Lord. Here's what you need to do for me. But later on, we're going to see, he said, man, we went to work and toil with our own hands. And so, and so what we got to see here, now this is not anti-churches taking care of pastors because pastors are professional jobs. And ain't nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, pastors shouldn't rob people. Amen. Amen. They shouldn't become hirelings where they're only doing it for the money. 
And so therefore he said, look, when we came, we made no demands on you because we didn't want anything to hinder you from believing this truth. You know, there are some people that can't receive the truth because, you know, when they come in church, you know, we first used to do our offering stuff, you know, we used to give people envelopes at the door a long time ago. Then I read an article in a magazine that talked about church life and how people think when they go to church. Barnard did a study and said one of the biggest turnoffs for people is that when you go to church and before you even know their name and know what's going on in their life, you give them an envelope asking them for money. And I said, man, we got to stop doing that at the door. Because there's some people may think, hey, man, they don't, he don't even know what's going on in my life. And he ain't even said hello to us. He didn't even greet me right. And then he don't slap me with this envelope. No. So I said, we got to stop that. Because, you know, and, and, and I used to, I stopped doing it as, as much as I used to. But I used to say, hey, if you're a visitor here, don't even worry. We're not looking for you to support this ministry. We're just glad you're here. But because we done changed the way we do offering now, we got announcements. But I can still make that announcement because it's our responsibility to take care of this house. I don't want a visitor coming in and thinking, that, man, and, 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 and that we're going to take up five offerings before they leave. No, because that's a turnoff for some people. And so it's nothing wrong with giving. Giving is a part of worship, and we, are, we teach that. But at the same time, there's a way it got to be done so people don't feel like they're being manipulated and taken advantage of in that area of their life. Major, did you have your hand up? Go ahead. I mean, but pastors hadn't, hadn't always been in occupation. So, I mean, pastors before, they didn't, well, they didn't get a salary, did they? Has it always been a, that was, a salary job it, or, or a pay job? Well, even from the days of old, the Levites, that, that people that minister, they were taken care of by the offerings of the people. That's why they didn't have land. They didn't have a lot of things. So therefore, they've been taken care of. What has happened is, is that, in, in, in particularly in our culture for a long time, you know, most pastors were bivocational pastors. You know, they, they either had another job, teaching school, driving taxes, or doing something, and at the same time, they preached on the weekend. And so at that time, ministry was very simple. All you had was Sunday school and church, and maybe a choir and stuff like that. You didn't have... Uh, expansive outreach ministry, you weren't doing all the stuff that churches are doing now, but, but in other cultures, pastors for a long time have always been looked at as a, a professional job. That people went to seminary to get degrees for it, and, and therefore they were entitled to that. And the Bible does say a laborer is worthy of his hire. So it's not a, any opposition to that, but then there are some who believe that, you know, uh, it, things can become excessive. Even the government believes sometimes pastor's salary can be considered excessive based upon a lot of factors that they factor into, you know, uh, what they determine, uh, uh, what they call a safe haven uh, for a pastor's salary. You know, so, so, so back then there's always been debate whether or not Paul took a salary, but there were times when churches supported him. He says this, right. I've been up, I've been down, right. but my needs have always been met. There were some who gave to me, but some could not. So he did take, he told one church, I made you inferior because I didn't allow you to support the ministry. I made you an inferior church. And so, so, so the issue wasn't that. It's just that at this time, he knew that this church was going through all type of tribulation. They were going through all type of trouble. And so he said, look, so that y'all don't have to let them false teachers out there and people come in and say, we're trying to take advantage of you, to manipulate you, trick you. Then guess what? You don't have to worry about it. We can ask for it, but we ain't going to even ask for it. 
And, and so, and, and that's a good gesture on his part because now he says that we were like children among you. In other words, we identify with you guys. And that's what leadership got to do in church, man. Leadership got to identify with the people. You know, and I know in a big church, a mega church, it's hard to identify with everybody in your church, but everybody ought to have access to you if they need to get to you. They, they shouldn't be in a church where they can't even go and see their own pastor. Even if they got to make an appointment to get on his calendar, they ought to be able to go and talk to the pastor, the man of God. He ought to be, he ought to ha- be able to relate to his sheep and his flock. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and, and that's why one of the things I've always tried to do is have an open-door policy here. So, I mean, you see me walking down the hall, you can stop me. And I know I get in trouble all the time. You can stop me. You ask me a question, I'm going to try to have an answer for you. Now, I may not always know exactly, but I know where to get it. But if you ask me the question, I ain't going to run and say, well, let me go and find such and such when I know the answer. I'm going to tell you, hey, this is what the answer that is. Yes, sir. Did you ever have um, any bodyguards? <laughs> no. The closest we got here is, uh, you know, we got security, but I've never gotten to the point where I felt like I needed a bodyguard. If I did, Brother Steve would love to do that for me. I have to tell Steve, stand down, man. I, I ain't that big yet. I don't need you to walk out on the stage with me and feel like, you know, I know everybody's driving. Unless somebody come in here, you know, I know most of y'all personally, you know, and so I don't have that type of level of fear, but I do know some preachers have more bodyguards than the governor do. The governor come and got two, two, two highway patrolmen with him, and preachers walk in with six folks and an armor bearer, <laughs> carrying their bags and everything. And I'm saying, that picture just don't look right to me. Because now people are being taken advantage of just to be around the man of God sometimes. And I just, I've never done it like that. I don't know what their motives are, but I do know sometimes motives are not pure when it comes to that. Because what happens is, People jock for position to be around the man of God. And so if it means I got to, you know, wash his clothes, I'll do that. But man, Pastor Bo would never ask y'all. Pastor Bo would never ask y'all to walk, come get my laundry and take it to the laundry. But I've never been in church where the man of God did. Hey, you take my laundry to the laundry. Okay, and they, people did it. Not that I'm not saying right or wrong. I say, I've seen it. I've never done that. I would never. I would never do it. That just ain't my nature. That just ain't in me to do things like that. So he said, like, we related to you. We, 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 we were like children among you. We, we didn't, weren't standing off you and standing apart from you, but we got to know you, and you got to know us. And then we started caring and feeding for you like you were children, like a mother would take care of a child. Then he said, we, verse 8, we love you so much, that we share with you not only, uh, only God's good news, but our own lives. In other words, we even made sacrifices for you. We didn't come just to take advantage of you, but we also made sacrifices for you. He said, now then, don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Day and night we toiled to earn a living so that you would not have to have a burden of any be a burden on any of you as we preach the good news to you. We made a choice. Could have took an offering, could have took from you, but instead of doing that, I had a trade. I'm a tent maker. And I looked that up, and I felt some of these regions where Paul went, tent making is still a a, a reputable trade over there to this day. Yeah. 
And so he said, we had a trade. So instead of coming to you, we taught you. But after we got through teaching you, we went out and made tents. So, the, so it looked like we didn't have to take up an offering to care for ourselves. That dog don't hunt today like that too much. Now, even, even with missionaries, you know, we send missionaries all over the world. But most of the time now, some missionaries do get in trouble and go to countries and take advantage of the country. They take advantage of the people in the country. But most churches have missionary officers. So when a missionary go overseas, he depends on the church that sent him to take care of him. To send that her, him, her, him. Yeah, not to go over there and rob the people. Right. They're trying to give the people the gospel, not to go over there and start taking money from them right off. So they expect the church that sent them over there to support them. That's how it's done in most cases, and that's probably the right way to do that instead of sending them up. But there have been some missionaries that have gone in the country and robbed the country. Yeah. All in, all in the name of the gospel. Preach under pretense. Yeah, they be uh, prostituting the congregation, and when they go over to other ways, they be prostituting them over there too. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, that, that if a person's heart is not right, they're going to take advantage of people no matter where they go. Location don't determine that. It's the individual's heart. And so, therefore, when certain people are, are doing things in God's name and their motives are not right, then they will get in a position where people are, uh, don't know the truth. And if they don't and they trust you, they're going to believe what you're saying and, and not realize they could be being taken advantage of. But Paul said, hey, we work. He said, now look, you ourselves are our witnesses. And so is God, that we were devout, in other words, that we were totally committed to the gospel, we were honest, we were, we, we were, we were free from any uh, untruthfulness, and we were sincere, and faultless. In other words, we tried to live before you in an impeccable way to, toward all of you as believers. So he said, now look, we didn't just live any kind of way amongst you. We tried to live right and be a good example for you so that you could follow our example. So, so, and I think that that's what, as leaders, it, it, we should try to live in a way where people will follow our example. Yeah, we err because, you know, we just make mistakes. People make mistakes. But, man, we shouldn't be practicing mistakes all the time. Right. Our lifestyle should be enough where someone can say, I'm going to pattern my life after Brother Major, you know. As he followed Jesus, I'm going to follow him. He, he's the Jesus that I can't see. He's the Jesus that he represents Jesus in the earth. He's that living letter, that living epistle. And, and he's doing some things that line up with this word, and I want to kind of follow his example. And, and, and if we're doing things right as leaders and as followers of Christ, man, people should want to follow our example. Right. You're a good pattern, man. People ought to want to follow our example. If nothing else, our children ought to want to follow our example. Right. We ought to live right before our kids so they will want to do the, be like us. Then when they, you know, they get older, they, they may depart from it, but they'll come back. If they've seen enough good in you, when they get older and come to their senses, all kids go through their dumb days. But after they come out of those dumb days, they'll come on back home. Not maybe all is too strong, but 99.9% of them do. When they get away, they just, they just don't know. They do. Just turn them loose on a college campus 100 miles from you. You just turn them loose in high school now. But we got to train them till they get to the age of accountability. And so look here, he said, now look, 
We tried to live right before you. We were devout. We were honest. We were faultless. He says, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Look at this, verse 12. We pleaded with you. In other words, pleaded means I'm a, sometimes preaching involves trying to speak to your emotions. It does, because you're trying to tug at a person's heart. You, when you're really trying to convince somebody to make a change in life, you've got to pull every string you can to, to get that person to accept Jesus. So he said, sometimes, look here, we pleaded with you. We didn't just get up there and not let you know that we were sincere. We pleaded. You know, I mean, we begged you to give your life to the Lord. And we encouraged you. In other words, we showed you support in the midst of your suffering, because we know you're going through for accepting our message. And we urge you, you know, sometimes urging means that you got to be persistent with some folk. You can't just go to some people just one time and think that they're going to get the message. you got to be persistent when you're trying to serve God and minister to people. People don't often change that quick. So they need to see us being persistent. But this is what we urge you to do. Look at this. And we urge you to live your lives in a way that God will consider worthy, for he has called you to share uh, in his kingdom and glory. In other words, when we, like you said, Major, the call is not going out for you to continue to live like you always live. We got to urge you that you got to make some changes. God expects you to make some changes. And I know that change message when you're dealing with new believers don't always go over well, but you got to keep it before them because you change, they can change. And so when we got to believe that this thing about ch changing people's hearts and minds did not stop when we got saved. And just because we're dealing with a generation now that don't want to change, that don't mean we stop trying to tell them you got to change. you got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you don't change the way you think when you come to church, you're going to do the same thing you was doing before you came to church. So this word got to get into your heart and into your mind so it can change your thinking. Because coming to church and attendance at church don't necessarily mean you're changing the way you think. And so when we don't change the way we think that leads to change in conducting character, then church becomes just a ritual where we go and we're not growing like we said earlier, Major. The, 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 the pattern is for you to come to church and grow and mature. Right. Not how many of us here, but is there any change that's taking place in the people's lives We've been coming to Stoughton all year. We say we're a teaching ministry, but are we teaching people enough to somebody and say, hey, I'm going to take that word that they preached up there, whether it's Pastor, Cliff, Latham, you know, Rob, whoever, and there's something in there that's going to change my life. Because if all we're doing is just counting attendance and nobody's changing, then we just become a social club. Just a social club. We might as well just get up some Greek lessons and put up there. You know, the, the striving social club. Because ain't no expectation. Change. Just come. 10 to 12. Let's just socialize. Go home. But man, when you open this Bible, man, you're going to see a lot of time this Bible is about changing people's lives, man. This gospel. And because it was about changing people's lives, that's where the opposition came in. Changing them from following idols to following the true and living God. Changing them from believing that, you know, 
Jesus was just another prophet. No, he was the son of God. He was trying to change their whole mindset and what they believed, but that, that process brought about, you know, persecution. Because some people just don't like to, to change. But, you know, we're living in a time now where every five years, man, the world is changing. And even Pastor Bowden, the guy who don't like to change that often, I, I had to learn that. The world is changing, man. And the things that I was thinking 15, 20 years ago, that dog don't hunt like that no more. These young folks, they just don't believe like we believed 20 years ago, 26 years ago. They ain't coming here saying, Pastor, we're going we're gonna to be soccer moms. And we're going to come to Bible study on Wednesday. We're going to be here for choir practice on Thursday. We're going to be here for the, this on Saturday. And also, we're going to show up on Sunday. They said, no. No, no, Pastor. Now, maybe when y'all started that thing, all y'all kids were big enough to go to soccer by themselves. But I got some little soccer kids here. I got the minivan to show. No. They play soccer on Wednesday. So what I'm going to do? Well, you know. I had, to, I had to accept that reality. Because people will make choices. Maybe you say they, they should have took the kids out of soccer, huh? get them in a no, Thursday league. No, oh, man. no, no, no. no what I'm saying is people make room to do whatever it is that they want to do. That's a true statement, too. What it is, <laughs> you could you could tell me a thousand excuses, but you're gonna make room and time to do whatever it is that you want to do. Uh -huh. So, go ahead. Good point. You know what I was going to say, Pastor. When I went back to work in the pharmacy, before I went to work there, because I worked there for eight years, never work on a Sunday, never. And even when she came and called me from where I was and said to me she want me to come back, she said, you don't never have to worry about a Sunday. And now, you know what she do? She give me Saturday off every time now and put me to work on Sunday. She give you Saturday off and now she make you work on? Sunday. Now, you can look at that as a little bit of form of persecution, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I, mean I used to use that. And that's seat. But there is always a way. I always say there is many ways to skin a cat. <laughs> many ways. Amen. And, and I know there are a lot of people, you know, and I, I guess that's why, you know, the Chick-fil-A model is so popular and well-supported because he has proven that you can shut down on Sunday and still be successful. And make more, because he, uh, he right up there with the big boys. And I think he outdo some of the big boys. He right up there in the top three with McDonald's, Burger King, and all of them. He may be doing better than Burger King. You know, McDonald's, him neck and neck. So he, that, that's more. proof that you can be, you know, in a business to make money and still give God his, his glory. They, Chick-fil-A make more money than every fast food out there. It was on the news one day they was talking about it. Because them say even when they close one day, they make more money than the one that say open 24 hours. Yeah, well, I, I, I can attest to that because every time I drive by the one on Bill up there, it's Close. the line around us, mm -hmm. especially in the morning. So, they, so, so what I'm trying to say is that sometimes we look at these things, we got to understand that God wants us to be worthy of the call that he has on our life. We've all been called. 
God called all of us out of darkness into light. And so we say we walk in that upward call, you know, of God in Christ Jesus. So therefore, we got to see that we got a, a higher call and God wants us to live a certain way as we live in this earth. He didn't take us out of the earth. We got to still navigate our way through it. But at the same time, we got to navigate our way through it, trusting him and trying to walk like he would have us to walk. And, and walking about, talking about live. Look at this, verse 13 says this. Fred, did you have your hand up? Go ahead. You, you know, Pastor, do you think maybe now, and I know the world is changing, that a lot of uh, uh, pastors or uh, ministers or uh, witnesses is compromising? You know, the, 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 the gospel is still as effective. God's word is always going to be true and not returning to him void. But I think a lot of times it get compromised because we want to want the world want to fit in to please the world to make sure that uh, we're lining up with everything that's new instead of saying, "Okay, this gospel worked in Moses' day and it still worked today." So we we can't compromise the gospel because God's word is gonna still do what it's supposed to do if we just put the truth out there. Amen. Amen. And, 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 and again, it's easy. Again, it goes back to what your motivation is, your motives are. If, if the intent is to, 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 to fill up a place, and I know what is selling out there, and I know what people want to hear, then I'm going to preach what they want to hear. I'm not going to talk about topics where, I hear people tell me this all the time, man, when I go to church on Sunday, I want to leave that refreshed. Like, I, you know, it ain't nothing wrong with getting a refreshing word, but you got to correct you too sometimes. You just can't go there and get refreshed every Sunday and nobody challenge you to grow up. But now people don't want to be challenged to grow up, so they go to a, a refreshing preacher who's going to refresh them every time. But he's never going to call, hey, there's some things, like you said, Major, God expects us to live worthy of our calling. He's not going to say, well, this is what worthy really means. Because if I tell you what worldly really means, then I'm going to tell you that some things you probably need to start changing your conduct and character around. But you don't want to hear that. Because now, I didn't come to church for him to tell me how to live. I know how to live. I just come to be refreshed. Okay. Well, Pastor, the answer to Fred's question is yes. Some, some people don't want to preach the truth for the sake of the seats may be empty or you don't get the response that you're looking for. And so the gospel is compromised in a lot of places where people don't want the truth to go forth, where they tell you exactly what you want to hear and so you can feel refreshed. Amen. But Amen. what's happening is people's lives are at stake. And when I say lives, I'm talking about souls. Amen. So you, live, you go on living with, you know, your itching ears and feeling refreshed, but you headed to a place that the Bible talks about that nobody want to talk about. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And you just need to choose which one you want to go to. But people don't want to hear that no more. Even pastors talk about you don't want to preach fire and um, brimstone. But there is a place. Yeah. So. Those messages are not popular in, this, in the culture that we're living in now. And so therefore, you know, we got to find messages that, that are. And the Bible will give you any type of message. You can find a motivational message all the time. I just want to preach motivational sermons. I can do that. Because everybody want to be motivated. You know, if I want to preach, hey, you know, uh, Norman Vincent Peale wrote a book called Thinking, Think and Grow Rich. 
you know, off of Proverbs, you know, off of one statement in Proverbs, wrote a whole book on how you can think, and that was, very, that was a bestseller, and church folk loved it, because they started thinking of how they can grow and prosper and be successful, and ain't nothing wrong with that, God wants us to be successful, but our motivation for getting the success got to line up with him. Amen. We can't do it for the wrong way. You can't chase stuff because once you start chasing everything, it's a possibility that can become your God. You, 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 you worship it. You know, and, 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 and again, I, I just hate the, the, our kids today, man, they're getting overwhelmed with all kind of crazy stuff. And because I, now, every now and then, I watch certain the little comedies that used to come on TV that used to be censored. And now, man, these guys are saying stuff on that that you say, how they got away with that? How can our kids look at that? Man, they have glorified the B word again. Well, they make it sound vogue to say, and I got my bees following me. You say, what? <laughs> and you hear people saying that, and our kids are getting that and going to school and hearing it, and then they come to church on Sunday. Well, the commercials too. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of things that's entering into our children and even into our eye gate and ear gate. And that's why we got to have filters. The Holy Spirit got to filter some of this stuff out. Because you can't stop it from coming, but you don't let, have to let it take captive. You, you can take it captive in your, when it comes into your head and your mind. You can take captive every thought, that's what he said, and bring it into subjection. But if we don't take captive some stuff and we keep allowing it in, it's going to start getting into our, you know, our psyche. We're going to start saying, wow, okay. Stuff that we used to be sensitive to, we're no longer sensitive now because we built up a callus around that. And so that's what television does. That's why a lot of times they introduce new things to us through comedy or cartoon characters. Because it's easy to accept that. Okay, let me read on, because i got to finish this. I'm just going to read. He said in verse 13, he says, Therefore, because you're trying to live right, we never, we never stop thinking, God, that when you received his message from us, you didn't think our words were mere men ideas. In other words, you thought you was really hearing from God. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. In other words, you got to accept the word. You got to receive it. You got to accept it. Because receiving is meaning, okay, I'm here. I got it. I received it. You know, like receiving a package. But when you take acceptance of it, you open it up and do something with it. Sometimes we receive packages, don't ever open it for months. Then it, it serves us no good. So therefore, it's like the, the soil and the seed. When the word falls on your heart, it got to fall on good ground. And once it takes root, you got to apply. He said, not, not only did you just receive the word, but you accepted it as the very word of God. So when we read scripture, you can't just say that's Pastor Bowden, that's Major, somebody reading the Bible. No, they're reading the word of God. Amen. And I got to accept this as the word of God, because if not, I won't, I won't see it as being truth. And if I don't receive it as truth, then I'm not going to act on it. And then when other people come and say things, and we put what they're saying on the same plateau as the word of God, if they're saying something that's appealing to our flesh and our desires, then guess what? We're going to go with the guy that's telling us what we want to hear. Especially if we don't know how to bounce what he's saying or she's saying off of the word. He said, now look, 
And then, dear brother and sister, you suffer persecution from your own countrymen, from your own family members, your own people that you knew. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea who, because of their belief in Christ, Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. He said, look, you know, sometimes when you get serious about Jesus, some people who are close to you may not accept you. They may have some issues with you. Because if your whole family ain't saved and you really go home acting saved and a little sanctified and they see you don't stop doing certain things and you say, you know, do you think we ought to do this in front of the kids? You know, I know you got a foul mouth, but it's kids in the room. Why don't we, can we tone it down? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you going to tell me what to do? This is my mouth. You know, and, and what I'm trying to say is that now you say, hey, you done changed. You're trying to get them to change, but when you come at them, you may get some persecution. Man, you know, sometimes you go to family reunion, man, you just have to be quiet. Say, let me get out of here. Let me get out of here alive. Because if I come and get something, my, you have to, I want to say something, but hey, they're going to let me know, man. Look here. We got that little sermon on, that service on Sunday for you, but right now, we do what we do. And what we got to see is that all of our family members are not saved. So we can't expect them to act like they're saved, but we can't go around them and act like we're not saved too. We got to still, even if we don't say anything to them, we got to live before them in a way that they know we're different. Because if not, then now that kills our credibility when we do try to go and talk to them because they're going to say, wait a minute, Major, I saw you at the reunion. I know what you were doing. Then all of a sudden now you're going to come and get a little holier than out of me? I saw you. See, people are observing us whether we want to believe it or not. And when they observe us, we got to make sure that we have a living before them in a way that, yeah, we're not going to live before them and never make a mistake, but man, we got to have a, a track record that, is, that somebody would at least believe Fred telling the truth. That's right. And he said, now look, you guys suffer just like your, 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 your people, like the people back in Judea or Jerusalem. He said, now look, some of the Jews killed the prophets. And some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now, the Jews get mad when they find this in the Bible. But they, didn't, they said, we didn't really kill Jesus. Well, that's a true statement. The Romans crucified him. But they urged the Romans to do it. Because they, they didn't have capital punishment. They couldn't do it themselves. So what they had to do was urge the Romans to do it, and the Romans carried it out. Romans tried to give Jesus back. But they accepted the robber, somebody else. And so what he's saying, that they even killed Jesus. Now they persecute us too. They fail to please God and they work against humanity. In other words, when, you, when people are persecuting you for your belief, they are not going to please God. But at the same time, when they persecute you and come against Jesus, they're working against humanity. In other words, they're preventing other people from getting the opportunity to be saved and experience eternal life. And that's, that's what... A couple of weeks ago, we talked about when Jesus told the Pharisees, hey, they don't want to do right, but they don't want nobody else to do right. And so there are going to be some people out there that don't want to get saved, and they ain't going to want to see nobody else get saved. And so it, when those situations happen, we can't stop doing what God has called us to do because everybody is worth something to God because he gave Jesus for all of us. He says, 
as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sin because sin is against God. But the anger of God has caught up with them at last. In other words, some believe that this got a, when Jesus prophesied that, you know, Jerusalem was going to come under attack, and some people believe that this was talking about during the time when the Jerusalem was destroyed, you know, because of that. But no matter what, if we do wrong long enough, eventually it's going to catch up. It, it, it just does, man. Some people think that, no, I can keep doing it. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up with us. And we got to accept that and try our best to do what is right before God. And don't pile up sin. We got to stop piling up. When we didn't know no better, we piled up sin, maybe. But now that we know better, we can't pile up. That's right. And see, again, that is not one of those feel-good messages right there, because I stopped right there in the Holy Spirit and let's talk about this piling up. I, mean, I ain't coming to hear you talking about that. I don't, don't, go, don't go messing with our pile. Leave my pile alone over here. You go, go, so go down and keep on reading. Don't mess with the piling up sin. So if I got, got in the spirit, hit me and say, you know that somebody, I know you, you're just piling up sin on top of sin. God brought you here today so that you can stop piling up sin. Your toes going to start hurting. You're going to start feeling it's time to get out of here now. And don't let me start calling some sin. Now he done, how did he get on that? Where did, where did that come from? Well, the Holy Spirit told me to just mention that because I know how the world is. I know that the world still practices sin. And if you still got one foot in and one foot out of the church, then guess what? There's a possibility you could still be piling. Piling up. And I did a sermon on piling up. We couldn't make no t-shirt out. Make a t-shirt out of there. Stop piling up. <laughs> I give a <laughs> stop piling up sin. <laughs> Keith, you got that one? Is that, that, that t-shirt worthy? <laughs> stop piling it up, man. That'll get you some conversation out there. <laughs> Who you talking to? You walking around with that shirt on? Who you talking to? Well, why you read it? It only it only got your attention because maybe you piling up. You ain't piling up it, though. But anyway, you got to be bold enough to wear a shirt like that because somebody's going to come at you. But anyway, let me go and finish it. So now, look, the last part is he kind of started talking about the good report that he had gotten from Timothy because they got spit up. He regretted that he had to leave them in a hurry. And then when he left, because Paul was like the, the wanted guy, everybody else wasn't as bad as Paul. When Paul left, you know, he could leave and everybody left. And then he would send Timothy back or Silas back to check on the thing. But he couldn't go back because he was like the most wanted guy. He had the bounty on his head. They wanted, he wanted to kill Paul. And so therefore he said, now look, Timothy, you know, I come back, he found out some things, and he wanted to let them know that, hey man, when I left you guys, I really didn't want to leave you for a long period of time because I saw you as my children. I saw you, you know, as babes. I saw you as someone like a, a father sees children. And so I didn't want to leave you, but because they was trying to kill me, I had to get out of town. He went as far as Berea when he left, you know, Thessalonica, but then they followed him to Berea. And then that's why he had to go on down to Athens to get further away. But when he got to Athens, he sent Timothy back to check on them, even though the coast wasn't clear enough for him to go back. And so he had a, a true heart and, and a love for this church here, and he was trying to let them know, I really didn't want to leave y'all. 
It's kind of like when I read this part, it reminded me of when I first went remote, my first remote assignment, you know, and you got to leave your wife and your kids or your husband and your kids or whatever, and you really don't, and your heart longs for them. You know, I never forget when I got on that plane, man, going to Greece without Lady Jeanette, man, all them, them eight hours that I was on that plane, man, I'm crying like a baby, man, Lord, help me. It's going to be a whole year. I got to go a whole year before them. What am I going to do a whole year? You know, they had no cell phone, nothing like that. You know, you, and so, man, it was, it was, my heart was just messed up. And so what he was saying, that when I left y'all, man, most of y'all know how your heart longed for someone when you can't see them and can't be with them. And that's what he was trying to tell them. Man, my heart was really still with you guys, even though I wasn't there. You know, and so this is why I read this real quick. He said, now look, in verse 17, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you. Again, man, I couldn't wait till my six-month period was up when I could come back. I mean, it was the longest six months of my life. I mean, the long and the quickest 30 days, you know, <laughs> the quickest 30 days. I mean, because you long for it. And, you know, Lady Jeanette was pregnant with Kwame at the time when I left. And, I mean, man, it was rough, long, writing letters over. And back then you could send cassette tapes and stuff in the mail. You know, you're just, you just pouring your heart out, just pouring your heart out. Man, I'm over here on top of a mountain somewhere. Don't speak the language. Ain't having no good time. Missing you. And see what I'm telling you, it was a long time. But now, I'm be honest, I was still young. And so they told me how to get to Athens. And when I got to Athens, it took away some of the longing because I could, I, I could go down in Glafada Square and just kind of relax and act like a tourist, and I'm in a big city. But now, again, I wasn't Pastor Bolden. I was 22-year-old Staff Sergeant Bolden, you know what I mean? Not, not in the church all the time. I was longing, but... I, w- I wasn't all the way saved, one foot in, one foot out. And while I was on top of that mountain, we had a little Bible study, but we didn't have no church service. So there wasn't no spiritual growth taking place there. It was just a lot of longing and working and stuff like that. So what I'm trying to say, but as, I, as you grow, you mature, and then now it don't make no difference where you go. You're going to still represent Jesus wherever you go. So he says, now look. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented me. And everywhere I look, it don't clearly say what stopped him, but Satan probably used something or somebody to prevent him from getting back to them. You know, some say they've been in captivity. It, it's not clear. He don't go into any great detail to say why he couldn't get back, but he did send Timothy. He says, after all, what gives us hope and joy, the expectation and the rejoicing, is that we will, that you will, it, what gives us, uh, us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns, it's you. Man, when we look back and see that Major stayed the course, Pastor Bolden get to heaven and say, man, Major went through all kind of opposition trying to get him to give up the church, give up the Lord. But man, Major stayed the course. Doc stayed the course. And because y'all stayed the course, that is cause for me to rejoice when Jesus comes back. Because he leaves the impression that 
there, is, there may be a reward associated with you staying the course. No pastor, no leader, no teacher want to teach his heart out and then the people don't stay the course. So he said, there's going to be a time of rejoicing when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. It is you who's going to cause that. Because look what he said, you are our pride and joy. This was a good church. They went through a lot, and they stayed the course in spite of that. And he said, because you stayed the course, then now when it's all said and done, you know, I'm going to look back and say, man, they got the message. They grew. They tried to continue to serve the Lord with a good heart. And that's good news. Amen. That's good news. And, and it ought to be the same way when you don't witness to someone and they give their life to Christ because of your testimony, your witness. Man, you ought to say, man, you want them to stay the course. You don't want to sow all that into their lives and then find out that they didn't stay the course. So we have an obligation, man, to pray and believe that people will stay the course. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, any questions, any comments? I'll get a lot of hand clap of praise, if you will. Amen.